This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey there, stackers. Hope everybody is staying safe. Here in Michigan, we have uh, shelter in place going on, which, by the way, is what we do on any normal day. So here's the thing about today's episode. In keeping with the discussion that we had on Monday, you're not going to hear coronavirus coverage. You can sit back and and relax knowing that we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. At the time that we recorded this episode, by the way, I thought that I was headed to Japan to visit my daughter who teaches English there. And uh, Cheryl and I and her twin brother, Nick, were excited to go. My sister, my brother-in-law were going to go. By the way, big shout out to Delta Airlines for easily, easily canceling all. We had to cancel so many things. And I have to tell you a couple things. Number one, having a credit card where you can dispute charges through your credit card. We had some people that wanted to only give us half our money back and just seeing what was going on globally. I get it. These are small business owners. I'm a small business owner, but still I'm not using any of the service. I'm not doing any of the stuff. And by the way, I still need to go to Japan and I really want to use your service. But when you decide that you're keeping half my money, probably not going to go with you next time. A mentor of mine once said, Most people look at the short-term and obvious, look more at the long-term and not-so-obvious if you really want to win. So this episode was recorded thinking that I would have been in Japan for now nine days. So currently, I would be uh, through Tokyo, Kyoto. Of course, we were going to go to Disney Seas. Uh, We were doing that on day one, and we would have been down in uh, southern Japan now. But instead, I'm here with you today getting ready to talk about adulting with your money. Good time to be adulting. All right, let's go. You know, I don't understand this podcasting thing. How come you boys can't have those keg parties and chase the girls like all the other nice boys do? Y'all are nerds. Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Joe, and what? What? Wow. Oh, so today is National Joe and National Viagra Day. 
I don't even get me started. So many jokes about how those two go together. But I mean, like, who's got the time I could go on? Anyway, so in honor of this weird-ass holiday, and because we all have cabin fever so bad that everything seems amusing, <laughs> let's change all of our names today to Joe as we discuss adulting. Because that seems like a totally adult thing to do, right? Doesn't it? On today's show, when should you have a backup plan? What happens when you don't have one? What's the cost? Joining us from the Afford Anything podcast, say hello to Joe Pant. And from this amazing podcast, it's Joe G. <laughs> Finally, from JoePenzo.com, it's Joe Pesci. Oh my God, that dude is awesome. But it's not him, isn't it? I mean, that Joe's trouble in every movie he's in. Nah, it's just Joe Penzo. But that's not all. How is your financial education? How is it for your kids? Today on our Friday FinTech segment, we'll discuss the perfect way to keep your kids busy at home, teaching them about money. We'll talk to Ortis Academy CEO and founder, Joe, a.k.a. Aaron Velke. And of course, we'll magnify a stacker Joe's money by answering someone's Joe-styled question. And now, the guy whose name means he will add, and oh boy, does he add some smells to this basement, especially after being cooped up here the last two weeks straight, it's Joe Saul Seahide. It must be that deodorant, that fantastic deodorant that I wear all kinds of times here in the basement. I'm sorry? It's from Monsters, Inc., right? Uh, do you got any odorant? Yeah, I got uh, wet dog, <laughs> smelly shoe or whatever mm, he has. Do I smell like wet dog? Why, yes, you do. Mm, fantastic. Hey, everybody, welcome to Wet Dog for the Win. I am Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, it's Mr. Joe G. You like switching everybody's Joe name to Joe? G, yes. How about that? Not going to get confusing. It's a good day to be a Joe. Just a regular Joe. across the, it'd, be the first, it'd, be the money. First, it'd be the first time anybody ever called you average Joe. True. Or a regular Joe. Mm-hmm. Yes. And some guy who's also a regular Joe, but lives deep underneath Los Angeles. It's Mr. Joe Penzo. How are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm cooking up some sloppy Joes for dinner. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. And I was just reading up about the Rock of Joe Brawlter. Oh, yes. <laughs> Been sitting on that for like six minutes. <laughs> like, just like, like, ah, I got a wedge. That one, I finally got somewhere. to use that one. Thank you. And I'm waiting to put that in. Thank you very much. He's here all week, folks. Tip your weight, Steph. And uh, from the desert, right in the heart of Las Vegas, it's our friend Joe Pant. You know, one of my favorite literary characters is Joe March, the character from Little Women. And. That's yet another Joe, another female Joe, and we are currently in the month of March. And is it, this airing in March? You, by the way? you can see just barely. <laughs> just, do you think we know what days our show airs? We have no idea, Paul. <laughs> and for everybody playing right. at home, we, now that we did the Joe game, that's Len, that's Paula, that's OG. And today, guess what, guys? This is also brought to you by The Motley Fool. Thanks to Motley Fool for supporting Stacky Benjamins. You know, when everything is changing and uh, the stock market is all over the place like it's been this last week, 
it's a great time to learn how these different positions react to different circumstances. Motley Fool's Stock Advisor provides two stock recommendations every month to kickstart your 2020 financial goals. Motley Fool is offering five of their favorite stock picks for free with the market the way it is right now at fool.com forward slash SB. All right, we got the gang back together. No guests today. The band. We, we are partying. We got the together. band back together. Absolutely. We got a fantastic, fantastic uh, headline piece. So let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our piece today comes to us from a little known website named Budgets Are Sexy. This is written by a blogger named Jay Money and guest reading Jay's piece today for us from every single dollar is our friend Jessica Garbarino. Jessica, take it from here. When I tried to be an adult and it backfired by Jay Money. I was talking to my sister about how I still rock my cracked phone and broken laptop every day. And she hit me back with some of the stuff she hasn't gotten around to replacing either. Like underwear. Most of hers has holes. Pillowcases. They're all fraying. Broken mugs. She reuses them for paintbrush holders, which is actually pretty clever. I find that in most cases, I am perfectly fine riding stuff out until the day they die. I wear holy underwear too, and rarely replace my cars until they putter out. But the other month I thought, maybe it's better to start acting more like a, quote, adult, and create a backup plan in case either of those important items up there crash and burn and completely collapse my life. Or at least this blog, since without a phone or laptop, you'd be reading a blank page right now. So I reached out to an old friend in the phone biz who hooked me up with an Android phone she didn't need anymore. Thanks, Sherry. And then shortly after, I went out and picked up a brand new MacBook Air I've always been curious about and thought it would make for a great upgrade when needed. But then here's where the crazy thing happened. Instead of feeling more at peace with having a game plan now, I actually started feeling worse about it all. First, because both items are still sitting in their boxes collecting dust and not helping a single soul, the worst as a practicing minimalist. And secondly, by the time I actually need to use either of these, it's very possible they'll long be outdated. Or at least not up to modern technology standards. Not that that's the worst thing in the world, as any phone or computer is better than having nothing at all when you need one. But I wonder if I jumped the gun too fast here and should have waited a little longer. It also feels bad keeping money stashed in a place never being used, laptop. But then again, maybe that's what it feels like to others who put it in savings slash retirement to be used for a quote rainy day later. This is just a different kind of unpleasant planning. Fortunately, I have no concerns about saving money for later but it does seem like I'm not so great at keeping backup stuff for when those fateful days come. But now watch, tomorrow both my phone and my computer will die on the spot, which in a weird way I'm kind of hoping for. Ha, does this make me a whack job? At any rate, thought it was interesting how jacked up our brains can be at times, 
and wondered if at any of all of you have ever experienced such malfunctioned planning too. At least now you'll know if there's ever a blank page here, it won't be due to lack of publishing tools. It'll mean I'm either dead or kidnapped. That's all. Here's a pic of my cracked phone, by the way. I can still see 70% of the screen. Len, you've tried to be an adult before. Did it backfire for you too? Well, I guess it depends how you look at it. I've actually been an adult. Uh, that's part of my prep. You know, I'm a prepper, right? And 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 I want to say right now that what Jay's doing here is I think he he's almost apologizing for prepping. And there's a <laughs> difference between prepping and saving. <laughs> and basically that's what he did. No, you, I mean, you're laughing at it, but, but it's true. I mean, I see nothing wrong with what he did. He, he, he thought – Hey, if, if my computer goes down, I need another one, right? And so he bought him one and he's got a spare. There's nothing wrong with that. I know how he can feel uncomfortable because he's saying, geez, I should have just maybe saved it as money or what have you. But I think what he did was a smart thing, frankly. I think so too. It, and it's funny because I'm even looking over at uh, the shelf next to me and here's this backup recorder that I bought. I bought it a year ago thinking this thing was going to go down. OG knows this because it looked like it was going down. We figured out how to fix it. I still got this thing I we paid a bunch of money for 12 months ago that has not seen the light of day that OG reminds me about about every 47 seconds that we... Uh, I try to remind you that uh, those things are not free and uh, they should be doing something other than collecting dust. I, it, but it gives, you, it gives you the opportunity to lose one again. Again. Oh, I did lose this one, didn't I? I was letting you kind of go with the, it was broken and I had to fix it. You know, handyman Joe just trying to fix the recorder. We all know what that meant, which was Joe just lost it. I then found it. I forgot, Paula. I went on vacation. I took my recorder with me and it was in a side pocket. And then I freaked out thinking I left it on vacation. That's what really happened. I I forgot Uh, that. So, But that's also a risk. Well, it is a risk. So shouldn't you have yep. a backup? Wasn't J Money right to have backups? Yeah. You know, I think so, well, specifically in terms of a computer or a phone, things that you rely on for work or in order to be able to do your job. And and Joe, in your case, a, a recorder, a microphone, like anything that is work related. It makes sense if you're self-employed, as we all are. Um, it makes sense to have a spare because if something breaks down and you lose two days or three days, you know, trying to repair it first. And then when you can't repair it, then you replace it. Like that's three days of lost productivity, which when you're self-employed, it means three days of zero income, you know, and even if it's not as direct as, oh, I bill clients for a billable hour, it's, you know, three days of lost productivity is going to have an impact on your revenue. No doubt about it. And so particularly with regard to, having backups of things that are necessary for the function of your job. Absolutely. It's funny, OG, to bring you into this discussion in a roundabout way. It feels to me that what Jay money's really talking about here is insurance. I mean, he wants to have insurance that if something goes wrong, he's got this backup yet when he pays for the insurance and he maybe doesn't need it, he feels bad about it. I just kind of wonder, you know, I think about this from the perspective of decisiveness. I was listening to what Paula was talking about around like you, you have these you know, days of trying to fix things. And I was just thinking there's so much easier ways or less expensive ways than a, in his case, buying a computer and just letting it sit there. That's becoming less valuable as time goes on. 
like what's wrong with having a subscription to Carbonite or using Dropbox or Google Docs or something like that where all of your information is already online and then just have it in your plan that if I drop my phone, I literally will go to the store and buy a new one. I mean, you might not get to get it the color that you want, but if it's truly such an emergency, it doesn't take but an hour to pull that off if you're in a somewhat populous area. And, and you know, I mean, I don't know that I would be buying an extra an extra computer just for the sake of like, well, what happens if I lose my computer or if I break it? I mean, that's a lot of expense. Now I would have an extra TV. (laughs) (laughs) An extra Xbox. You have to have an extra Xbox. I do do have three Xboxes. (laughs) If if that goes And I've got them spread across the country just to be extra safe that if there's an EMP in Dallas, I can get in a plane, go to Michigan, get my other Xbox, bring it back to Dallas and now I can still be Xboxing, which is uh, which is great. But um, or you could just keep your current Xbox in a Faraday cage when, unless you're using it. There you go. There, see, there, there it's it even is. better than buying three Xboxes. <laughs> see, I, I thank you for proving my point for me. And that's exactly what I was saying. You but, don't know, uh, Len, who's touched an Xbox. I mean, you could get coronavirus. So you got to you got to keep them absolutely. Yeah, I just don't know, like. I think in the context you're talking about insurance, I would, you have to have a plan, especially for things like Paul was talking about as associated with your business or associated with your life. What do you do if you lose your job? You can't like at that moment be thinking, oh, I should probably make a plan for what do I do if I lose my job? Like you're already in it. You know, you have to have that already on the shelf. So in those contexts, I think absolutely. I, I like. I want to go to the engineer here because it seems like Len a great point that OG's making. Like having insurance agents want you to start with buy a thing. Of course, if I walk into a Verizon store and I tell them something might happen to my phone, the Verizon rep is going to say, "Have you ever thought about having a backup phone?" Where what OG's saying, maybe widen that out instead and having a contingency plan instead. What do, if my phone goes down? I'm going to do X Y Z at that time. I mean, that seems very engineerish to concentrate on if everything goes wrong, what's the strategy going to be instead of just going out and buying a bunch of stuff? Yeah, but here's the thing. You don't have to buy your spare things. Your backups do not have to be top of the line. They just have to carry you through until you can get, you have enough time to get the thing that's broken or lost or what have you. So for example, Jay Money, you don't have to buy it. I don't think he did. I don't think he bought it. He got a great backup computer. He got some yeah. Oh no, actually he did, but whatever. You can just you can buy cheap stuff to just carry you across for a few days. So you don't have to expend a lot of cash. You can buy an old used computer, you can buy an old flip phone, you can buy, you know, just have a burner phone, what have you. Just enough to get you through that time. So you don't have it's not like the insurance has to cost you a lot of money. And really insurance shouldn't cost you a lot of money. So, I mean, if you're just smart, you just get just get enough to carry you across to get you across the crisis, the quote crisis. Which is funny, Paula, because I think then the bigger argument, once again, getting back to insurance, is that that could be, that crisis uh, insurance could be, if you have money in the bank, that could be your emergency fund. But it seems like the people that skimp on insurance are not the people with an emergency fund who really should skimp on insurance. It's the people who feel like they can't afford it. And then for them, when something goes bad, then they're in big trouble. Right. With a phone or with a laptop, if you've got a strong emergency fund, then when yours breaks, you can automatically, like as OG was saying, go to the store within an hour and replace it. 
So as long as you've got the funds, the emergency fund to be able to do that, and as he was, as Oji was saying, the decisiveness to do that, because where that can get bogged down is if something breaks down and then you try to be cheap about it and you wait for several days to fix it. And during those several days, you're out of commission. So that decisiveness, that quick action of replace first and then try to fix the old thing later, I think that's key. And with Jay Money, what he did in terms of the quote unquote getting insurance, the impression that I took away from what he wrote is that by going out and buying, you know, a new phone and a new computer, he essentially turned his old or existing stuff into that backup, right? His phone had a cracked screen. You know, the the screen was what, 70% cracked or something like that. It's not a great phone, but he likes it. And now it can be a backup. Len, so don't you think the quicker we get onto drone technology where we can just get stuff automatically, the less we need that backup? Well, you're always relying on something, right? I guess. What if, what if the drone takes a crap, you know? I mean, I mean, I mean, there's always risk. There's risk everywhere, right? So I guess if sure. I mean, what's the why would you need drones if you, you've got a car? Why you can just drive down to the That's right. Best Buy or whatever and, and get it in an hour. It'd probably take you the same amount of time. So you know, I, I don't know. There's certain things where I think it's prudent to have backups. I think if when you're a blogger uh, or a podcaster, I think electronics items that you use every day are very important to have backups. But he also mentioned things like underwear and pillowcases. Is that important to have spares in your closet? Probably not. I think you can make do. Yeah. You know, the, it, 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 it all depends. And kind of Paula hit on that earlier. It really depends on what the thing is that whether you're going to commit some funds to it and keep it in your closet or not. So this is, this is OG why Len has seven toothbrushes. Cause if the first <laughs> six go down, he's got the backup. He's like, honeybee, we gotta have a backup for the backup. Well, you should see my prep stores. I mean, it is pretty impressive. <laughs> I, bet it, I, I do not I'm good for it. six months. You know, people are out there getting toilet paper and I'm just laughing. <laughs> They've getting toilet paper and, and they're buying water and they're running like, oh my God, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm just kicking back, drinking my beer going, you know, you, you guys should have been doing this years ago. Had it already. Had it already. <laughs> that that beer you're drinking right now is seven years old. In fact, yes. Got a seven year. I told you about the, the, you know, I do test my stores. I, I told you about the, the 10 year old can of Chef Boyardee ravioli that I ate. And right? you said it was good. It was delicious. Yeah. It was a little off color, but it tasted just fine. And like wine. It gets better. You know, if you if you store it correctly, you know, you got to store it with the can side facing right. forward and, you know, mm, at yeah, 57 rotate degrees. It, rotate the can every yeah. every six months or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Is this Chef Boyardee 73? Mm. <laughs> Delish. <laughs> this is the original. That's right. I've had the 75. Not as good. That was not as good a year. They, they must have packaged that one worse. What's our big takeaway here, OG? Don't go crazy. Just... If something breaks, just go fix it. It doesn't have to be that complicated. <laughs> don't need an extra MacBook sitting in a box somewhere because you're worried you're, you know, just that or don't throw out the old one. Like when you do get the new one, just keep the old one for a cycle. Like that can be your backup. Like you know. I was talking about with the phone. Paula? Yeah, I agree with the don't throw out the old one. And then I, I guess I would also say that an emergency fund is the ultimate insurance. And Len? Uh, ditto what OG and Paula said. I, you know, there's insurance, there's smart things to get spares of, and then there's 
not so smart things to get spares of. So critical items for your work, yeah, good idea. Underwear and pillowcases, probably not. All right, in a quest to get away from Len talking about having underwear, <laughs> we're going to introduce the Friday FinTech segment. Didn't, didn't need to know that, OG, that Len doesn't have any backup, just in case. Everybody else is hoarding extra toilet paper. Len's like, who needs more? Do you guys have spare toilet paper in your cars? Because you can wear the same pair of underwear four days in a row. Everybody knows that. Acha, right. No, but do you? Do you guys have spare underwear in your car? Uh, underwear? Not spare underwear. Spare <laughs> That's a whole different. <laughs> I mean, depends on where I'm headed. <laughs> I was Louis Diner. Out, yes. I know you won't take that out, Joe. So. <laughs> There's Absolutely. No... <laughs> Going to the taco truck. <laughs> pair of pants. I got the whole, I got a whole new wardrobe. <laughs> Can never be too sure. Aaron Velke. Long drive. <laughs> on that note. Aaron Velke is CEO and founder of Ortis Academy. They work with people of all ages to give them uh, better financial knowledge. And it's cool to see in an age when you hear about financial programs not working in schools, an academy who seems to be knocking it out of the park, helping the younger generation get their act together. And let's talk about how they do it. They have a new thing out called the Money Club that people could even do online. They also work with schools. So let's say hi to Aaron Velke from Ortis Academy. Here he comes down the stairs to the basement, our new friend, Aaron Velke. How are you, man? I am having a great day so far. How about you? Well, great now that you're here because anybody who's interested in financial education is clearly a friend of mine. But I wonder, you know, nobody gets into the fin ed business Maybe except you. I don't know, but for money, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, bravest of brave. That's right. This is not known as. I don't know if you know this. Maybe it's a spoiler, Aaron. But this is not the big money segment of the universe. <laughs> Why did you guys start Ortis Academy? Uh, me and my business partner are both coaches, and when you spend a lot of time with kids, what you realize and see are these gigantic gaps in what the real world is like and what they're learning. And anybody that's in education is noticing that there are massive like holes in education. There are deficits in what's real and what's not. And money is a glaring one. So there's just this core why that's missing. Why are you learning social studies? Why are you learning about engineering? Why are you doing technology? Why are you learning how to type? And money is just that connective tissue for us. So this started, we were in an area that was changing and a school got built and we wanted to help. They wanted math help. We thought money would be a great disguise. And down that rabbit hole we went. And what we really sought out to do initially was to make money a sport. Because in sports, you have failure, you have practice, you have concepts, you have life lessons, you have all these things that are just, they're beautiful. They're absolutely stunning. And if we could bring that to an environment where someone got to practice money, what a world that would be. What surprised you most that kids didn't know about money that you would have expected most kids to know? In many ways, what we're teaching them is upper level. So they, they're missing like some of these core elements. We go into a lot of different programs, workshops, seminars, classes, and most people don't know what earning is or how to earn. The only thing that we've conditioned someone to think about is get a job. And that is a gigantic 
like misnomer in a world where gig economies, entrepreneurship, startups, and freelancing, they're, they're exploding. And we feel like that's a big space for us to provide a foundational block that just supports someone in the long run. So you guys started off with one school and then how did it expand? Did you say, hey, kids are learning this stuff. We should go bigger or what happened next? You know, naturally you end up with the question of like, how do we do more? When we started getting some interest in, in growing, we had to come to this conclusion that we could not be everywhere. And that required us to think about technology. But from an even more practical perspective, a young adult is learning on YouTube and they're learning on Google. So we just felt that what we had created for gamification and being in person was great, but we wanted something to modify the rest of the, the month or the semester for them once we left. And we started thinking, imagining, dreaming, conceptualizing, what could we do online that would make the conversation that we start, the, the catalyst, even more powerful? We're really good at creating moments, and we wanted a tool to really create a more sustainable learning course for somebody. And we, we built, we learned, we raised capital, and we, we expanded. And now we've got an online platform that's pretty robust. I mean, there's, there's a lot there for families, for young adults, millennials, Gen Z to like sink their teeth into. I want to talk about both things you guys do. You're referring to one thing, which I believe is your money club. And yep. then the other thing I want to talk about is how you interface with organizations. If we have educators listening, cause you guys also do that. But before we get to that, I want to talk about some statistics that I've seen that I'm sure Aaron, you've seen more than I have. And that is that you know, we complain a lot about financial education in our schools and the fact that it's not there. And yet you look at the numbers, statistically, financial education in schools hasn't really worked. There's a few places that it has, though. You guys are a place that it definitely has. What needs to change that you guys are kind of doing and maybe a few other people? I'm thinking about our friend Gene Natale in Pittsburgh. Uh, there's a few others that I think we can shine a light on. What is it that needs to change about financial education that will bring up all I can think of is the thousand dollar word efficacy, right? That makes it makes it tangible and usable. So the kids actually hang on to it and change their behavior. It's a great question. I, I think the million dollar question as well. For the last 50 years, we've looked at money as a function of logic. And we don't make we don't make logical choices. Everything we do is emotion. It's impulse. It's like this fired temperament of how we're feeling then and there. So we we don't buy a pair. We, like we don't go to the mall like, all right. I have two pairs of shoes. I need no more. We're like, dude, those shoes are hot. Yeah. And we've approached this like knowing more will create better behavior and change habits and like fill someone with enough momentum to really create better financial outcomes. But knowledge doesn't do that. I can tell you all the facts about money. It won't change that you still love to go shopping as retail therapy, right? Retail therapy that if there's ever been a more emotionally driven term, it's that. Right. So what we've really focused on is the mindset, the personality, the behaviors, the habits that will eventually give someone enough of a basis to insert more knowledge and make better choices. Knowledge comes after we like ingrain some of those things. And self-awareness is a big piece of this. I know plenty of guys my age, I'm 32, that they know, but they're broke. And it just speaks to a deeper problem. What we are seeing is a decoupling of pain and pleasure with like the way we can spend online, the way currency moves. 
And as that continues to widen where it's 30 days before I actually experience the cost, spending is going to go up and we've got to have tools and understandings and behaviors that support this change or we're going to end up just stuck in the same cycle. So we focus on that and application of that through games. So you're not talking about just facts and figures and how a checking account works or how the monetary system works. You're talking about behavioral economics. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And in, in a way that puts someone in the driver's seat to analyze their own choices, right? It's really easy to come in and stand on a high horse and say, hey, look, here's what you do. Follow my lead. And we really want to be vulnerable and bring authentic moments of mistakes and moments of reflection that allow someone to say, wow, that might be worth reflecting on. Where do I start? And if we can get a person to say, where do I start? We are off to an, an entirely different ballpark where the invitation is welcome. And a lot of these money conversations, they're not welcome because yeah. it's just some guy on stage speaking about how great he's got it. And really, we want to bring this to an audience where people are willing to admit their mistakes, their flaws, their character types, their values, and all the things that they understand about money from their mistakes, because that's typically where we learn. Yeah, that's fascinating. I could talk about that forever, but let's get into specifically how it works. So uh, let's talk about the money club first, because anybody yep. can join the money club is my yep. understanding. Tell me about that. So money club is an online series of games, content, videos, like resources for families of millennials and Gen Z. Typically, Money Club is a very approachable foundation right now, and we're going to have a ton of content. It's really a whole world, right? We want money to be approachable and fun and cool. And Money Club is designed to help a family, help an institution really make the conversation about money, the invitation that we just talked about. The online course itself has all kinds of content that blurs this line of behavioral economics and the realities of the real world today brought to you in like Ted talk style videos, right? They're just engaging and they're, they're exciting to learn about, but they're also relevant. And we've connected everything back down to sports. So we're like, Hey, earning is like your offense. Spending is like your defense. What's your score. Right. And those games that go behind it really help reinforce that behavior and mindset are a big part of money. The club itself is such an, a powerful tool for us because it allows us to reach beyond our walls here and, you know, we can be at this table together and talk about how to make change. But if we are stuck here, then we can't do that. And Money Club can reach anybody where they are. And it's just such a such a powerful tool for us and exciting to launch. What's the target age group? Millennials and Gen Z are kind of our space. We know the language. We know what they care about. And we know that they care about like a workplace that has a mission. They care about how it's going to socially impact the world. Those things are really valuable to us as well. So this is kind of conscious capitalism in a way. But what we're really focused on is individuals that want to see the world in a very real and practical way and want to understand money as a way to live their best life and be happy. Happiness comes first, and we're really excited about helping people build that into their own future. That's where I get frustrated, Aaron, is it, you know, because I hang out in some online communities as a part of my job and I get frustrated. In fact, this morning I saw somebody really diving into the technical details, was very frustrated because they didn't understand any of the, the technical stuff. And my first thought was kind of exactly what you're talking about. You kind of got to build a foundation first. Right? I mean, I mean, let's let's not start by putting a pretty roof on my tent. Let's <laughs> let's let's put some stakes in the ground. Yes. 
And let's be honest about that. It's just a tent. It's not a million dollar home. We're going to start in a tent and it's okay to start there. And, you know, many, many guests, many other guests. And I think our philosophy really is let's start where you are. Let's not be ashamed of that. What's great about games and having these dialogues is that a game in a game, if you fail and you make certain choices, you're more likely to talk about those choices in the game and then say, oh, that's just how I am in real life. Whereas if we come in and say, hey, tell me where you're making a mistake, you'll blow it off and walk away from it. So it's creating these dialogues that are safe and open that really seem powerful for us. And Money Club has been a a great success in helping these particular individuals and families really accelerate their dialogues. And I see that uh, Money Club says it costs $99. Is that a one-time fee, that an annual subscription? How does that work? So that's a one-time fee. Okay. Right now we're offering uh, a special coupon code called Stacking Benjamins. So wow, all right. $50 off. So anybody listening can can get involved with it. You know, it's a one-time membership and we, we've got other courses that are going to be rolling out. That one flagship course is called A New Independence. So we really want to stress the word independence because financial freedom is like so far away for a lot of people and we want to build that up. We also work with employers. We run workshops for staff teams to do a little bit of financial wellness and, and really get... I think there's now a big value in employers that show their employees that they're in for the long haul. So we work with them as well to do workshops and seminars that focus on the same kind of content. Well, and there's also the other place, because it's also my understanding that ERISA requirements, which by the way, most HR departments are able to blow off, that say that you're supposed to educate your workforce about how to use the programs that you have available. I would imagine that this would help companies toward that requirement as well. Definitely. And- we know that staff are always stressed about money, right? It's, it's the number one cause of stress in the country. Millennials and Gen Z are definitely focused on like, how do I solve this stress? So we don't have the science to say, hey, this is going to improve your productivity. What we do have is enough data to say, if we improve the finances of your staff, you're going to see value in it in the long run because they're going to see the value that you gave them. So it definitely helps HR. It definitely is a great benefit to offer. It's good for families. Like this is a subject that's really for everyone. And that makes it tough for us to find the audience, but it's super critical. And we're trying to be an active part of the change. Let's talk about the younger generation though. You guys also go into schools. Talk about that. We do. So we come into schools and run a variety of different programs. We've got some that are shorter, some that are longer. We kind of a la carte it. But ultimately, we have some live in-person events, some games that are like hands-on. Again, that's sport out of money. We've got the online course that couples. We train staff to facilitate the online course in classes. So there's a ton of resources available for free as well that that schools can get access to. There are parent guides. There are just a lot of things that we want to share because, again, this conversation about money is often very mechanical. And the conversation about money is always subjective. What what you care about, Joe, might be very different than what I care about. So telling you what you care about doesn't work. I need to ask you what you care about. That's crazy talk, Mr. Velke. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Why would you do that? Uh, The site that you go to is Ortus Academy. It's spelled O-R-T-U-S academy.com. Aaron, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes and talking about, well, actually, I should ask you one more thing. I know you guys aren't done. You've got other stuff in the hopper that you're working on. Tell me about that. Look, a big future for us is in considering that an outcome in financial education is not an assessment. It's a real choice. So what we're building and thinking through is a tech platform that when you finish learning about mortgages, you immediately connect to a mortgage provider. When you're thinking about 
you know, how to leverage insurance and like you've now learned about insurance, we connect you to an insurance provider that's trusted, that helps you figure out anything from lending to credit cards to homes, mortgage, all of these tools, because we know two things. We know people don't trust the like overwhelming amount of detail on the internet. And we know that people like to help people they like. Yeah. So all of that flows back and forth. And our tech platform is really going to be a hub for someone to get educated and then make the choice. Because we want to say, hey, 80% of the people that took our class on how to buy your first home now have a home. That to me is changed financial education. Aaron, thanks a ton for talking to us today. The site is ortisacademy.com. And you know what? If you're walking your dog or you're on the commute, we got you covered. We've, we'll have the link on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Fantastic work. Joe, thank you so much for having me. Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Joe. And today, to celebrate National Joe Day, I'm headed out to the Sizzler tonight to get Joe's mom and I some sloppy Joes. I'm not even sure if they make them, but hopefully since today's such a special day, they'll do their part for all of us Joes. And of course, here in my non-mic hand, I got a cup of Joe holding it right here. You can smell it, I bet. Which is great, nearly non-sequitur segue into today's trivia question. So it was this. What percentage of people drink their coffee with nothing in it? Totally naked coffee. We'll talk about the sugar and dairy industry, or maybe the lack thereof, in just a moment. Hey, I realized that before we talked to Aaron, we never answered Len's real question, which is about keeping toilet paper in the in the car. So maybe we OG, do you keep toilet paper in your car? Yeah. I mean it's not handy. Paula. It really has to be quite an emergency to be able to I mean, you gotta dig for it. You gotta, you gotta earn it. <laughs> I don't wanna know where you're keeping it in your car. It's like a treasure hunt. Oh boy. No. No. Paula, do you keep uh, do you keep some in your car? No, it never would have even occurred to me to keep toilet paper in my car. Me neither. Len, you've got plenty in your car, I assume. No, I actually have those one. Uh, it's just a, it's a little they have a little um, travel rolls of TP. Really it fits in the little center console. It's awesome. You ever have a case though where you're squatting on the side of the road? <laughs> <laughs> I am not stopping to help if I see your flashing lights on. I'm driving along. Like, I believe in Penzo alone. Guys having a moment. Boy. Uh, uh, Trivia-wise, let's get to our question. Len now has widened his lead. He has five. OG has three. Paula has one. So, man, we are we're moving ahead. So that means, Paula, is this the week when you start your big comeback? Absolutely. Here we go, then. Would you like to guess first in the middle or last? I will guess last. All right, OG. Uh, First is fine. All right, OG taking the lead. So, OG. Nothing in it. Nothing in it. Black. Straight. Hmm. So I guess we have to decide how many people actually have coffee. You know, and then no, and then look is, at the average size of a coffee cup. Um, this is actually. Why do, you, why do you have to know how many people drink coffee? Well, it's just the percentage of all coffee. Because I'm right? trying. No, no, to is get it the percentage of people? See, 
Exactly. I what? knew it. <laughs> Leave me alone in my logic. You do you, baby. <laughs> All right. So he is, he is Mars he is. is the closest planet to the sun. <laughs> and Paula doesn't know what we're voting on. <laughs> um, what number do I pick to win? That's really the question. So I'm going to say that the uh, it's the vast majority of people, I'm going to say it is uh, 60 and 4%, 64% of people drink their coffee without anything in it. Straight no chaser. Wait. Are, wait, does bourbon count as that, in that, it? That's an additive. Okay. 64. 64. Mr. Penzo. Oh, gosh. You know, I used to drink when I first started drinking coffee many, many, many years ago. I started drinking coffee when I was like five years old and it was like one third coffee, two thirds milk and five teaspoons of sugar. But now as I'm closer to and everybody thought you had ADD, (laughs) but now Closer to retirement age here, I I just finally, about a year ago, I finally, the last bit of sugar stopped going into my coffee. So there's no sugar whatsoever when I drink coffee and very little cream. Uh, and I don't know what that has to do with, you know, what everybody else drinks, but it seems to me when I go to a restaurant or it seems like quite a few people have their coffee black. And when I'm at, and when I'm in the office, it looks like more people have black coffee than uh, I'm going to say, gosh, I think you have a really good guess there. OG. that's the problem. And I want to be kind and I don't want to get too close to you. Social distancing. Yeah. Plus there's the strategy. I got to be careful not to be totally Chelsea Brennan by Paula. (laughs) I'm sure more than half people drink their coffee. No, I'm going to say 45%, just under half. He's so sure he's not going to say 50. Well, I want to go a little higher than OG, but then I'll just get yep. Chelsea Brennan by, by Paula. So I'm, I'll go a little lower and make it more t- tougher for her. Well, Len, she's only won once. It's not like her strategies work so far. <laughs> I'm not sure at this point you got a lot to worry about. All right. So first of all, the ambiguity in the question is, are we talking about what percentage of coffee drinkers drink their coffee black? Or are we talking about what percentage of the population drinks its coffee black, factoring for the percentage of the population that does not drink coffee at all? I can define that for you because, and I think it's a way OG and Len answered this, uh, mm-hmm. and we'll go back through theirs, but it's percentage of coffee drinkers. So is that the way you understood it, OG? Depends on what Paula says. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you want to change your answer? No. Len? Nope. All right. All right. Len, your answer was 45? Yes. Was that right? Yes. All right. I am convinced that it's less than half, so uh, I'm going to go with 44. She takes 44. So let's see if Paula finally is going to win a second time this year before the first quarter's over. But if- <laughs> But first, uh, we got to make you wait for a second. We're going to sweat this out. Well, you've seen it and I've seen it online this last week. The stock market's all over the place. People are wondering what to do. And the big thing that really gives me pause 
is when people act like the stock market's some kind of voodoo. The stock market is not voodoo. The stock market is a reflection of what companies are worth. And while the market goes up or down over short periods of time, looking at how stocks respond to different stimuli, such as coronavirus, I think makes a lot of sense. So, enter our friends over at Motley Fool. Big thanks to them for supporting Stacking Benjamins. If you've ever wondered how to invest or you struggled to understand how the levers work, Motley Fool's just what you need. The Motley Fool provides advice and guidance that cuts through the noise of standard business sections and websites and provides you with simple, easy-to-use analysis to help you understand the market. Motley Fool started by two brothers, Tom and David Gardner. They've been through this before as well. I remember when I first heard about the Gardners, it was in the 90s. So they know market downturns. Tom is the CEO. David's the lead stock analyst and board member. The Motley Fool's flagship service, Stock Advisor, provides two stock recommendations every month with daily analysis and coverage. And that's the piece that I really like, the daily analysis and coverage of your positions. Motley Fool's become well-known analysts, identifying leaders and trends before they became everyday aspects of life. To kickstart your 2020 financial goals and to get on top of how markets work, especially Especially if you're someone who's worried about your investments right now. Knowledge is power. To kickstart your 2020 financial goals, Motley Fool's offering five of their favorite stock picks for free to stackers. Go to fool.com forward slash SB. That's fool.com forward slash SB. Oh, gee, looks like you're in the clear with most the stuff uh, above 50%. That's got to make you feel good. Guess we're going to find out. Len? Uh, well, you got like a range of about 10 in there. Yeah, but it's in the middle. It's in the middle. And I think statistically, I think I have a, a, a much higher percentage than you would, other, right? Because I think yeah. the numbers between say 80 to 100 are out of the question and 20 to zero are, are not. So I think I have a, a really good chance. Here. Yeah, you got the middle of the bell curve. And Paula, yes. Paula, to his point, that really gives you what? 44 to 10. Actually, you know, if I were not Chelsea Brennaning and uh, if I were to volley a guess with no strategy behind it whatsoever, I would still have guessed somewhere between 10 to 20%. Oh. I think it's a, a fairly low percentage of coffee drinkers, probably mm. closer to 10%. So I feel very comfortable having anywhere from 1% to 44%. Well, I can't believe I'm going to say this, Paula, but Doug has the answer. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Doug, what is our answer? Welcome back, my wonderful trivia family. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Joe, and let's get your trivia answer, shall we? Let me recap for all you old Joes out there. What percentage of people drink their coffee black? Meaning, you know, like with nothing in it. Well, it turns out that much like most people like bacon with eggs or jelly with toast or mayo on their hot dog... And that, that might just be me. But, you know, most people do prefer to put cream or sugar in their coffee. So if you said 24% of people like their coffee naked, you'd be right. See ya. Woo-hoo. Wow. No, oh. I'm shocked because the number of people at my work, it seems like a, a lot more than half drink black coffee. But I'm wow. actually shocked it's so high. If it's 24%, that's like one out of every four people 
I would imagine that it would be even less than that. Like I said, I'd imagine it would be 10 to between 10 to 20, closer to 10. Most people have something in it, you think? Yeah, absolutely. Vast majority of people have something in it, I guess. Yeah, going with... You know what's great when you go to a, a fancy restaurant and after dinner and they you order the coffee mm. and they give you that that coffee. They put they give you all kinds of things, not just oh. cream and shit. They give you like the, the little chocolates and the and cinnamon sticks and whiskey. The, oh my God, it's so awesome. Yeah. Bourbon, vodka. Bailey's. <laughs> butter. Butter in your coffee. Beer. MCG oil. Butter. Is that yeah. true? Do people put butter in coffee? I, I drank two cups this morning of butter coffee. Bullet? No is way. Is that bulletproof coffee? Is that your bulletproof coffee? No. So bulletproof is a particular brand name, but I combine half a tablespoon of butter, grass-fed unsalted butter, Obviously. and one tablespoon of MCT oil. I combine them in a blender, blend it up for a few seconds, and it makes a delicious cup of coffee. All that butter in her coffee is why Paula's going to start putting toilet paper in her car. Wait a minute. What did you say? Grass-fed what? Unsalted grass-fed butter. I, I do half a tablespoon of that, and then you mean one the tablespoon. Cows, the cows were grass-fed. Yes, the cows ate grass rather than grain. Any free-range chicken in there, or anything like that? No, no, no chicken. Neither chicken no nor cage free egg chicken. In my coffee. All right, very good. <laughs> no cage, no cage-free butter. In there, we went to it. We went to. Have you been to one of those restaurants where they give you like the coffee they make on the Budsa burner, where it drips in the Budsa burner? That's mm, yeah. I've I've had that at a coffee shop once. Unbelievably delicious. Was yours? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Mine was. Mine was great. I mean, <laughs> French press. What's that? Still, the AeroPress is the best. The AeroPress you like really well. Yeah, it's just it's just so hard to make. Yeah, Paula, you like the French press. Yeah, I make my coffee at home every day in a French press. So I make French press coffee. Then I blend it with butter and MCT oil. And then I put it in a smart coffee mug, a Bluetooth-enabled coffee mug that keeps the temperature consistently at 130 degrees. I like, <laughs> I like that uh, line from, what was, the, what was the show where Michael J. Fox was the mayor's uh, right-hand person? I know what you're talking about. Heather Locklear was in it. No, oh, but why am I asking Paula? I shouldn't be asking Paula. Um, yes. Back to the future? But on that show, a guy walks into the break room. One of the characters walks in the break room and says, I like my coffee like I like my woman. And this woman goes, you like paying $55 for a coffee? <laughs> it was just horrible. <laughs> it was absolutely horrible. <laughs> Today's outline call comes to us. Well, that's an old joke. That's, that's joke. an old joke because it's $100 now. I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And you can't say that joke either. That's not appropriate. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of MagnifyMoney.com. You know what happens, Len, when you had to magnify money? No, tell me. When you go to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you'll find those financial products you use every day at your bank. Nowhere near the best in class. Over 92% of the products available online, all ranked at Magnify Money. Head to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. And today we're going to help who? We're going to help Nick. Magnify his money. Say hi, Nick. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Nick, and I need your advice on how to spend more money. My wife and I, a few years ago, bought a house in the cheapest area of L.A. County and decided that she would commute for a while while we save some money. Now we have a toddler and a new baby on the way, and we're starting to look at school districts. The areas where we would actually want to live cost about four times the amount of our house. 
I don't know if we're going to be able to make four times more money or what we would do, but how do you go from a neighborhood that's maybe 300,000 on the low end to a neighborhood that's 900 to 1.3 million? Let me know. Looking for that money. Holy cow, Nick. Thanks for the question, Nick. So, uh, Paula, what magic can you give Nick here? Maybe, maybe pick the Powerball. No, several options. So first of all, if the overriding concern is neighborhood rather than specifics about the home itself, are there condos or apartments? I mean, what, what is the smallest footprint thing in your ideal neighborhood? Look for that. That's one option. Another is, are you willing to Airbnb or VRBO if that is legal in that area? Or are you willing to take in a roommate for a little while if that's a possibility? That's another way that you can try to offset some of the costs of living in that space. And then finally, when we talk about taking in a roommate or Airbnb, effectively, those are ways to make more money. And granted, you're, you know, those examples seem to be most relevant because you're monetizing the home, but money is money regardless of how it's made. So if you don't want to take the step of Airbnb or get a roommate, then what other side hustle can you develop such that you can make more money? So I would say that combination of increasing your income and decreasing your square footage, even if that means sacrificing the single family home thing and going into like the tiniest shoebox apartment that you can find, you know, when something is expensive, you buy less of it. So when square footage is expensive, you get less square footage. That's going to be the trade-off. Len, you like that idea of deciding what your priorities are first that Paul is talking about? Yeah. I mean, that's, I hate to say this, but you know, sometimes you got to think about if that's really important school, something as important as a school district, that's kind of something you want to think about before you buy the first house, just in case. I mean, to jump from a $300,000 neighborhood to a multi-million or a million dollar neighborhood, it's, it's really asking for a lot, especially if you're already at two incomes. If you're at one income, you might be able to make the jump, but that's hard to do. You might want to look into other alternatives, like maybe homeschooling, or maybe it's even cheaper to find a private school that in your area that actually delivers better than the the public school system where in these million dollar neighbors at least equivalent to you might have to pay some you pay some extra money but it would still be cheaper than trying to shoehorn your way into a million dollar neighborhood that's what i was thinking og was what len said there about the private school idea that might be a happy middle ground yeah i was thinking about this the way that paula said which was uh to think about it from the perspective of what is the most important thing my answer is just go figure out a way to make more money. But if the education piece is more important to you, then you have to be willing to sacrifice in other areas. And maybe the right answer is the smaller place or whatever. But I think it would also be interesting to like expand that circle. You know, right now you're thinking about two binary choices. Should I live in my current neighborhood, which I don't like, or should I live in this million dollar neighborhood, which I want to for the schools? And I just got to believe that there's another option there, which is why can't you live in a good neighborhood that has good schools, but not in one of those two places? Maybe it doesn't exist in the L.A. basin or just the general area where you live. But I just kind of wonder if there's other places that you should expand that circle to. You know, is there a place in 
you know, Arizona? Is there a place in the Pacific Northwest? Is there, are there jobs that you can, that you can look at that accomplishes both of those things? If they're both equally important, I want a big house, you know, I want a lot of, you know, whatever square footage and I want a good school district. I mean, I think that the common refrain in financially stable people along the way is, is that they're very, very, very cognizant of their housing expenses. And you could probably swing as long as you've got a reasonably decent income, you can probably swing a mortgage payment on an $800,000 house, but it's going to come at the expense of everything else. It's going to come at the expense of any sort of social or fun activities can come at the expense of any sort of savings or investing. So I just don't see that as a, as a reasonable, you know, as a reasonable choice. So I think outside the box would be my, my suggestion, but I like Paul is the best. Well, and I also like, but because a lot of what you said, OG had to do what Len said, which is, you know, thinking of other solutions. Like I, I agree. I mean, I had thought what Len thought, which was private school and your thought of maybe there's a middle neighborhood. I mean, I agree. It's not as binary when you guys, you guys must like come up against that when you have a problem at work. Often there's got to be a third solution that somebody didn't think about. Yeah. There's always another solution if you get clever. Right. So I was just thinking the downsizing when you have a family down downsizing can be hard. It's easy to downsize when you're getting older and the kids are leaving the nest. But when you're adding to your, you know, adding to your brood and your nest is getting bigger at home, you know, downsizing is, boy, I, that's pretty tough. That's a tough, tough option. Yeah, that is. So. My recommendation for anybody who wants to do that would be to look at people who live in places like Manhattan or Sao Paulo, like look at people who live in high density areas and see what they're doing in order to be able to accommodate a smaller space. And actually, Ikea is a very, very good source of inspiration and ideas for that. It totally um, is. It really is. Like Ikea is great at, you know, they're so like real estate in Sweden is so expensive that people often have incredibly tiny homes and they're just, they're fantastic at innovating around that. So so look to that for inspiration and ideas. In those showrooms, there's nothing more fun than walking around, imagining yourself living in a shoebox. Yeah, do. like they've optimized every inch of 300 square feet. And to be fair, when square footage is small, cubic footage becomes much more important. So having high walls so that you can store things vertically, that becomes much, much more important. Go up, like having a loft, things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks for the question, Nick. You got a question for us? Head to uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail and OG and I. And on Friday, Len and Paula will help you get an answer that I'm sure you probably won't like. <laughs> hey, did Nick give you his, his shirt size? He did. He, he forgot. Which, yeah. Thank goodness, because that's just bragging. <laughs> we don't believe it or not. He's still going to get a code from Gertrude. He'll get to pick his own. But I do like when he's like, hey, Joe, I'm an XL. Good for you, man. Yes. Keep bringing it. Well, that's, that's the difference between men and women. A women's <laughs> brag would be like, I'm an XS. I know. <laughs> isn't that sad? It is sad, Paula, how it's just a double standard, isn't it? Yeah, seriously. Bra bragging with us is I'm I'm extra, extra small. Yeah. <laughs> 
and either way, whether it's women who aren't extra, extra small or men who aren't extra large, everybody else just rolls their eyes. Just goes, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for today. Len, what's happening at uh, JoePenzo.com? Let's see. Oh, it's my annual look at uh, gas versus charcoal grills. Oh. Just in time for spring grilling season. So uh, stop on by JoePenzo.com. We shouldn't even talk about that now. I'm so hungry. And the idea of like having brats on a grill right now, I'm in. <laughs> Me too. Doesn't that sound great? Totally uh, in. That's what we're doing. You're doing that right now? Well, not right this second. Do you cook them in beer first before you put them on the grill? I cook myself in beer first. No, that way. <laughs> you know, if I'm if I'm drowning in beer and then I put the brat in, it's yeah, I guess the it same doesn't really effect. matter. It does. It's exactly. A, it all comes out the same. OG got big plans this weekend. I just uh, flipped through Flipboard. I just found an article for Len. I tweeted it to you. Super rich jet off to disaster bunkers amid coronavirus outbreak. It's happening. <laughs> you got yours at a discount, Len. You're not paying the big bucks yeah. that these people are paying. Oh, no. I got mine when, when it was cheap. When bunkers, <laughs> nobody wanted bunkers. It was it was cheap. <laughs> Yours still had the missiles in the silos. <laughs> hey, I will tell you this. I, I will tell you this. I worked with a, a lady, and um, her dad actually bought an Atlas D missile silo out in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and I got to uh, go visit it. And uh, it was quite amazing. It was it was an old decommissioned site, but he, he made it his home. It was something else, he and lived, it and it worked as a as a bunker. How about that? He lives. Below it was ground. really cool. Yeah, really cool. The thing I would be worried about is you got to make sure. So I get it that it's, you know, it's underneath the ground, all that sort of stuff. But you got to make sure that the Russians also know that it's a decommissioned bunker. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got to imagine they knew where they were at some point or at least generically. And, you know, like you're like, well, or do they keep track of these stuff? Like when we decommission these things, are they are they pretty sure? Like, oh, don't bomb South Dakota. That one's out, you know, or did you have to send a note to Putin? Be like, hey, dude, just so you know, it's just me. Right. It's like, there's nothing else here. It's We're good. These grid coordinates, leave us alone. Promise me you're going to take it out one of them. Right. I have no idea what's happening this weekend because I don't know when this show's coming out. <laughs> 327. Oh, I am in North Carolina presently is what I meant to say. And um, I will be in North Carolina for another day and then returning home. Little after school activity, which is not flying an airplane. It is not. It's a different thing altogether. And Paula, your after school activity is also not flying an airplane. Uh, that is correct. I can firmly say that I have never in my life flown an airplane, though I have been a passenger more times than I can possibly count, starting with my first airplane ride at the age of six weeks. Really? I'm sure that was fun for everybody else on board. <laughs> yeah, you slept yeah. time. Are you in the Million Mile Club yet? Paula? Oh, no, no, I am not. Okay. You're close. Do you know how many miles you got? I, you know, I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't know what it would add up to between all of the different airlines. So not sure. You were asking about <laughs> airplane club. I thought you're going to, I'm like, lead. I said million. I said million, yeah, million mile, million not, not, not mile, mile high. high. <laughs> 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 Woo. It's like <laughs> Joe hears what he wants to hear. But, but uh, hey, Paula, just since Joe brought it up. <laughs> uh, so actually, you know what's funny? So when I lived in Boulder, um, I used to work as a campus representative for the Peace Corps. 
So I was managed by the Denver Peace Corps office. Denver is referred to as the Mile High City. And so the director of the Denver Peace Corps office used to call us the Mile High team. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we'd go to these staff meetings and she'd be like, yeah, Mile High team, go. And everyone would just be chuckling. Yeah, and there were that these, doesn't mean what two, you think it means. Exactly. <laughs> there are these two guys who worked in the office and they're both like in their mid-20s. And they would occasionally just high five each other and be like, Maha team. <laughs> and, and the director, their boss loved it because she thought that they just had a lot of enthusiasm for their oh, job. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, everybody wins in that situation. Exactly. Everybody wins. Well, Paula, while we got you, what's happening at Afford Anything? At the Afford Anything podcast, we recently aired an interview with Chris Gillibo. He is the author of The Art of Nonconformity. He most fa he famously traveled to every country in the world, 193 countries. And he joins us to talk about side hustles, making money, managing money, uh, travel, adventure, and living an unconventional life. So we recently aired that. We also have an episode coming up with Joe Saul Cihai, where what? we answer a bunch of questions that come from listeners from the community. And we have an episode coming up in a couple of weeks with John Hale from Morningstar, where he talks about ESG funds, environmental and social governance focused funds. All right. So well, all of that's on the Afford Anything podcast. And I know you've had some questions about ESG funds on our question and answer episodes. We sure have. And so John Hale, he is an expert in the topic. He's written many papers on it. So we deep dive into that world. All right. Well, we'll have links to everybody's stuff at our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Doug, I mean, Joe. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from our roundtable. Adulting? Yeah, backup plans make sense, but not in every case. Consider what's mission critical for your life and have backup plans for that. Everything else? Ah, maybe be okay with just living a little. Second, take some advice from Emily Shalal and Dr. Klontz. The real problem in money handling? Yeah, it isn't your bank or the fees. Dude, it's you. But the big lesson? I can't keep all these Joes running around straight. Joe's mom's Joe is beating her friends, Joe, Joe, and Joe. One of those doesn't have an E, by the way. Uh, at, you know, at cards online. And, and I got a feeling that Joe's cheating. It's one of the ones with the E. They're, they're totally cheating. I tried to point it out. And all that the Joes said, they, they just started yelling at me. So this Joe is out. Big thanks to Aaron Velke from Ortis Academy for stopping by. You'll find a link to the Money Club and all of the Ortis Academy programs at stackingbenjamins.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com and the Afford Anything podcast. Len Penzo appears courtesy of lenpenzo.com and thepersistentitch.com. And as always, thanks also to all of you good Joes for hanging out with us today. Go forth and stack some Joes. And then wash your hands. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahigh, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. 
online. Visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Check out my skills, Joe. Roll in in my El Camino. Ragtop down so my hair can flow. Word to your mother. OG, I think you have a game we were going to play. How much is no how much about. is enough game? It was something about like uh, getting some money. Everybody writes down like a, a number on a piece of paper. Yes, it's coming back to me now. It was something we re- I, we were talking about it offline. It, uh, something that I read about. Oh, it was um, you're meeting with a very 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 wealthy person. And let's just say it's the three of you. Maybe you guys have thought about this already. It's the three of you. And the very rich person will write you a check for everything that you need for the rest of your life. Everybody gets to vote. So everybody gets to write their number down. The lowest person gets the money. And you don't get to know what the other person wrote down. So let's do it. Len, Mm -hmm. Paula, me. Person that writes the least number gets the money. So how much do you need? And I would say that just for argument's sake, remove, because although I would suspect that we're all financially successful in different ways, remove from your calculation in your mind what you may have already accumulated in assets or in cash flow. You know, so like you might, Paula, for example. Starting zero. Yeah, right. Assume that you're starting from zero. So how much do you need? How much, what's the total amount that you need Written. Should we start at a, we should all be at the same age too then. Affirmative. Mm. Uh, qu- question. So mm-hmm. once we get this money, are we allowed to invest it? Yes, but you can never work again. This oh, is it. This is damn. the money. You're done. So what you're... age? So what age are we working from? What number do you want to pick? Do you, you want, want to say the same 40. age? Let's say well, let's all be 40. Bam, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> Joe and Len are like, hell yes. <laughs> I thought it was cool. Paul and I said the same number, but okay. all, right. all right. So you don't get to know what the other person wrote down. Lowest number gets it. Everybody else doesn't. And I guess it doesn't matter, but then 
it goes on to say that you don't uh, you don't get to know what the winning number was, but whatever, it wouldn't really matter because you'd be working the next day anyway. Yeah. But you could never work again, and you got to live on this money, however you choose to invest it forever. And starting at zero means we don't own a home. None of us own homes. Fair enough. So we're all renters right now. Okay. Right. And no social security. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Whatever. Sole source of income. Yep. This is it. This, this is the bucket from which you need to live on for the next 60 years. Right. Wow. You're going to live to be a hundred. I'm going to live to be 138 actually. Wow. That way I get to see all my kids turn a hundred. All right. So everybody got their number. Len's still calculating. I am. I want to be the lowest. No, I want to get down to a minimum. Paula, you got uh, your number? Yeah, but it also has to be a big enough. It has to be a big enough number that you can, you know, be comfortable. I mean, you could put a hundred grand, All but right. you really want to live on, you know, four hundred bucks. Right. I got you. Okay, let's what, hear it. Uh, oh. Is this money pre-tax or after-tax? This is what's in your. You get the check. There's no okay. strings attached to it. No. Okay, so no, no tax is taken out of this. Right. Nope. Did you whip out a twelve C? A 15C, an engineering calculator, not a oh, business calculator. Excuse me. Pardon moi. <laughs> Reverse Polish notation. It's a 15C. It oh, I just gave like you my number. Can you I see my number? See no, we didn't uh, see yeah. it. No, I couldn't see it. I just saw lots of zeros, <laughs> yes. which also is my number. All right. Who's going first? Uh, Paula, you want to go first? Sure. All right. My number is 3.5 million. 3.5. Joe's like 3.4. <laughs> Actually, yeah, strategically, if I was going to try to come in under somebody, I would go like 3.4999, you know, mm. just in case anybody else grabbed 3.5. I would Chelsea Brennan them. Right. But yeah, yeah but, but, you don't, but you don't know what anybody else has. So you, you know, it's just three or four or five other people that all have the exact same circumstances as you. All right, Joe, you're up. Well, it's funny because I went 2.199 because I thought somebody else might go 2.2. <laughs> yeah, 2.2. 2 point basically. I'm I'm out. My number is way higher. Len, what was My, yours? I'm out too. My number's way higher too. What was your yeah. number? 10 million. 10 million. See, I was at five. I figured I could make do with five. I'm thinking of inflation, so I threw an inflation inflator in there. Mm. But my, you, my thinking was that 3.5 million at the four percent withdrawal rate would lead to 140,000 a year, and then because that's invested money, that 140,000 would be subject to taxes, and so 140 pre-tax is, you know, if I couldn't make another dime, that's yeah, that's a good amount. Plus, nice. starting from a place where I don't yet own a home, you know, starting from a place of of zero. Yeah, 140 pre-tax is probably the lowest I'd comfortably go. That's so funny because I was thinking Joe's gonna slum it at like 50 thinking, grand. I was like, thinking 80. It. I was thinking 82, 83 thousand bucks, but it was mostly competitive that way. I wanted to get something. I wanted to get the money. I'm like, well, what's what's the smallest yeah, but you could never you can never work again though. That's the trade-off. The trade-off is if your numbers is too low, then you're relegated to that lifestyle I'd, from now on. I would find a way if I could win this competition. Which so I don't know if I won or lost. Did I win? I might have lost. Yeah, you were you were the lotus, so you won. No, but I'm saying I might have lost because now I can't work anymore and make that number bigger. 
Yeah. So see, I've seen the number where if you want to, even at a hundred thousand dollars and if you want to withdraw at four, four percent a year and you want to go for 25 years, you need, and, and you're not, and you, you're taking tax, you have to consider taxes and inflation. You really need $4.765 million for 25 years, yeah. starting at the start of your career. If you're expecting a hundred grand in today's dollars, salary, right? So most people say, oh, I need 2.5 million, you know, 25 years, 100,000, but no, there's taxes and inflation. It's $4.765 million. That's just for 25. And if I had to live for 50 million, that's, uh, or 50 years, that's double that. That's 9.45 million. So that's how I came out with the 10 million. It's crazy seeing even, even with my Uber low number, then you see people that are trying to retire with, you know, $600,000. Mm. Yeah, because you forget people forget the taxes and they forget That's the killer. inflation. Yeah. Forget inflation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They forget. Yeah. 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 Stuff. <laughs> well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother in law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.